the unchanging Lord. And, of course, we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus. By the way, on Wednesday nights, I'm making it my practice to dive back into the previous week's text and find some passage that uh, we may have overlooked or which has a truth in it or a question raised by it. You say, well, I, I wish Brother Tom, when he's, you know, we're sort of galloping through the book of Exodus, almost a chapter at a time, well, a chapter at a time so far. I, I wish, how, how could we overlook the significance of those two verses? And so on Wednesday nights, we're going back to uncover some of these nuggets, these hidden truths from the book of Exodus. But now tonight, I want you to turn with me to chapter 6, and we're going to think about the unchanging Lord, the unchanging Lord. Chapter 5 ended with a question on Moses' part. He said, God... This is a mess. I thought you sent me down here to deliver the children of Israel. I walked in promptly when I got here to the entire nation of Israel. I announced my presence. They were overjoyed, had a worship service. I said, pray for me. I'm going to go see Pharaoh. I went to see Pharaoh. I said, Pharaoh, I'm here. My name's Moses. Used to live here. And God says, you need to let the people go. I thought Pharaoh would immediately say, Great, Moses, I've been waiting for you to show up. Tired of these folks. Can I give you anything on your way out the door? He didn't do that. Pharaoh became exceedingly angry, and uh, he just blew up. And you know the rest of the story there in chapter 5. He made life very miserable for the Israelites. All of this, of course, was a part of God's plan. Uh, the Israelites would not have left Egypt and its bondage and slavery if life wasn't absolutely unbearable for them. And that's what God was doing to them. Moses didn't know that, though, and the Israelites didn't know that, and the Israelites were pretty upset with Moses. I mean, you're upset with somebody who makes your life tough. And so he had made their life tough, and they had just said, you know, we pray God will judge you, Moses, for uh, what you've done to us. Ever since you've shown up, life has become really rotten for us here in Egypt. It was tough before, but it's miserable now. And so we found Moses at the close of chapter 5 on his face before God saying, Lord, this is absolutely confusing to me. And the Lord reminded him of whose he was and what he had said and why he was here. He told him, here's your purpose. You are to be the deliverer. And that brings us now to chapter 6, which is an incredibly significant chapter. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in a few moments the name Jehovah. Now, I want to speak about that for a few moments before we read the Scripture. Jehovah is something of a pronounced Yahweh. Yahweh is what the Greek grammarians would call a tetragrammaton, four consonants. Now, this is in the Hebrew language. If you could see it written up on a big screen, it would be Y-H-W-H. -H. And those would be the equivalent of some Hebrew consonants. If you... If you were reading Hebrew back in these days, you would discover that in the Hebrew language, there were really no vowels. And the people just knew how to pronounce the, the words because they knew how to pronounce them. By the way, if you pick up a newspaper in Israel today, you'll discover that basically there are no consonants. Uh, you'll, I mean, no vowels. You'll just see the consonants. Now, a couple of things happen which bring us to the name Jehovah, and I think you need to understand this because this is a name by which God is called uh, about 6,000 times in the Old Testament alone. So you need to become familiar with this. By the way, you don't see him named as Jehovah, as you will see it 6,000 times in the Scripture, but 
in your Bible, probably in your Bible, anytime you see the name Lord in all uppercase letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is a translation of the Hebrew Yahweh or Jehovah. Where did we get Jehovah? Why Jehovah instead of Yahweh? Well, Yahweh was a name pronounced by, well, a name which the Hebrews refused to pronounce. It was holy to them. They were afraid that if in pronouncing it, they might break one of the commandments of God. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Later, when uh, in the Middle Ages, when the Masoretic scribes began to uh, use what they call the vowel or the pointal system, they put in between those letters the vowels for the name Adonai, which means Lord. And that was a reminder, really, to the Hebrews that instead of saying Yahweh, they should say Lord. But if you look at Yahweh with the vowels for Adonai in it, it looks like Jehovah. And that's how we get our name, Jehovah. It was the holiest ascription that the Hebrews would ever read in the Scripture. It was a name, I said earlier, which the Hebrews would refuse to pronounce lest they violated any principle of God. It means literally, it is a name which ascribes to God His eternal presence. Earlier in the Scripture, when we read of Moses asking God, whom shall I say has sent me? God responds by saying, tell them I am that I am. And this also is a form of Yahweh, Jehovah. It means that God is in the eternal realm. And with God, now listen carefully, everything that happens is in the present. He sees it all. He acts in it all. He is eternally in the present, in the now. God has not grown old. God has not become wiser through the years. God always has been, God is, God always will be, and He is only God. There is none other. When we see in the Bible, He is Lord of Lords, we will see the words, He is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, of lowercase, Lords. He's the Lord, Jehovah of Master, of people on earth who would call themselves Masters. He is the unchanging God. In a few moments, you're going to read in the Scripture um, this statement. Your fathers, such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty, or the Almighty God. But my, by my name, Jehovah, they did not know me. Well, that doesn't mean that they had not heard that ascription of God before. You can go back in Genesis and God's dealing with His people where the name Jehovah or Yahweh was used. But what he means here is that, that Abraham did not know what the Israelites were about to find out. And Isaac and Jacob, while they knew that name, they did not know the significance of that name. And Israel was about to find out 
why God is called Jehovah, why he is Yahweh, why he is the great I am, why he is eternal and unchanging. Now, you students, I'm sure wrestle with this whole idea of eternity. We all do. You know, the thought that something always could have been and is and always will be, that baffles us. I mean, that's confusing to us. How could something always have been? Well, I want you to think with me for just a moment, and, and perhaps this will shed some light on that. If you were born in this auditorium, let me use this as an illustration. If you were born in this auditorium and never were allowed outside the confines, are you listening now? Never allowed outside the confines of this auditorium. You were just in this room, no place else. And somebody came in from the outside and they said to you, now listen, I want to talk to you about the sun. You would say, the sun? What is the sun? You would say, well, it's out in the sky. You would say, the sky? What is the sky? Well, it's where the stars are and the clouds. And you know, you'd say, well, I hear your words, but I can't comprehend that. Well, stretch your imagination a little bit. It's outside this room. It's bigger than this room. Uh, let's see, we have a ceiling here with lights. Well, well, this is, this is eternal in scope. And you would stretch your brain and say, I'm working on this, and I, I think I get the idea, but it's hard for me to imagine that. Why? Because my total frame of reference is this room. Nothing outside this room. Now, if you'll just think with me just for a moment. Our total frame of reference is a room but it's a much bigger room than this. It's a room called the universe. And everything in that universe, God made. And it all had a beginning, and it will all have an end. And we, even time is a creation of God. We measure time by the things God has created, whether it's revolving around the sun or the earth, spinning on its axis. Even time is a creation of God. But the Creator, God, is bigger than that which He created. And so just as you, having been born in this room, would have a hard time conceiving a sky and a moon and a stars and putting that in your frame of reference because it's outside this room and you only understand what's in this room, you grew up in this room. So it's hard for us as finite individuals who had a beginning of life and will one day have an end of life, it's hard for us to comprehend eternity. But remember, the fact we can't comprehend it does not make it so. And God is eternal. He always has been, he is, he always will be. Now, if you'll, if you'll catch this next statement or two, you'll understand why this passage of Scripture is so important. Israel's problem was that Egypt had gone through some changes in leadership. Exodus opens up in chapter 1. There arose a king who knew not Joseph. All he knew was that the Israelites were multiplying, and so he decided to make their life hard. So they knew what it was to live under a changing of the guard, a changing in leadership, and they saw that promises that were made one day could be broken the next day. 
In this chapter, God is going to say, listen, you have been victimized by changing leadership. I need to introduce myself to you as an unchanging God so that you will see that anything I said yesterday applies today and will apply tomorrow. And any promise I made then, I will keep today and I will keep tomorrow because I am an unchanging God. And that's the subject for the message this evening. Stand with me, if you will, please, in honor of our Lord, as we think together about the unchanging Lord, and that's all uppercase letters, L-O-R-D, Jehovah. And I'm going to ask you to look up on the screen. I'll just read here, and you can follow along just quietly as I read the passage of Scripture, which is our text for this evening, verse 2 and 3 of Exodus chapter 6. And God spoke to Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared, and by the way, I noticed on our uh, screen there, it was uh, not capital L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's probably my fault when I gave it to uh, the people that put it up there, not God's fault, okay? As if you thought it was somebody else's, all right? All right, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh. Or, to use the text that this was translated from, Jehovah. By my name, Jehovah, was I not known unto them. Now, we live in a world of change. Some of you feel like you have been in a whirlwind. Everything changes. Communication, travel, discoveries. Uh, I mean, it's incredible. The changes that have taken place in the last decade. Fashions change. The great sadness I have in our heart about Losing all those clothes in our closet, our house was that in six more years, I think, they were going to be in style again. <laughs> Things change. Some changes are encouraging. Some changes can be frightening. But I want to tell you that in the midst of all this, we have an unchanging Lord. And that is incredibly significant. And I want you to see why in just a few moments. Father, I pray that you'll open our hearts to your word in these few moments. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. You got your Bible open? Let's look at these things that we need to realize. When God is dealing with us, or when we are dealing with God, anytime there's something going on between you and God, there are three things you need to remember. You say, well, I think God's dealing with me right now. He's showing me what I need to do with my life, or he's, he's showing me how I need to conduct my, my business, or he's dealing with my family, or he's giving me some new direction about something. Well, if God's dealing with you, you need to know these things. You say, on the other hand, God, I'm, I'm trying to get God's attention. I'm, I'm dealing with God here. There's some things I want God to know about me, and I've asked God to show me his plan, show me his way, or show me what to do in my family or at my work or in my life, to show me a way out of the predicament that I am. All right, you need to know these things about an unchanging Lord. Here they are. There are three of them. Number one, his character is unchanging. God's character is unchanging. He said, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I am always the same. 
Let me read to you this passage of Scripture. By the way, the name Yahweh is in each of the three passages of Scripture we're going to look at in chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I'll do to Pharaoh with a strong hand. He's going to let you go. As a matter of fact, with a strong hand, he's going to drive them out of the land. And he spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah, or Yahweh, was I not known to them. And I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Now here's what I want you to see about God. And I hope you'll just let God write this someplace in your heart. God will never compromise a principle, nor will he ever fail to keep a promise. Why? Because he is unchanging. He'll never compromise a principle. Here's what this means. You're never going to wear God down and get your way. You're never going to out-logic him. You're never going to, to help God see the light about an issue. He will never compromise a principle, nor will he ever fail to keep a promise. God might have said something like this to the children of Israel. You folks went to sleep on me, didn't you? You've been down here in Egypt 400 years. You know how you got down here. You got down here because of something that I engineered. That's right. Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, thought they were doing a misdeed to him, but I used it to deliver the children of Israel during a time of famine. And now you've been down here in the wrong place for 400 years. I've been overhauling you. I've been teaching you some things, but you've forgotten you don't belong here. You belong in a land that I promised to your forefathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I made a covenant with them. And I said, I want your descendants to be here at the crossroads of the world. You don't belong in Egypt. Now it's time for me to show you how I'm going to keep my promise. For I am Yahweh. My character is unchanging. I will never compromise a principle, nor will I ever fail to keep a promise. I have laughingly uh, said, and I don't want to belabor this fact, it just happened to be on my mind tonight because of an earlier conversation, but uh, that there are some things, you know, you lament, and there are some things that you don't lament, and some of the things you lament, you discover others don't place equal value on them. My wife, for instance, never placed much value on those tremendously beautiful exotic game trophies I had in the entryway of our house. I have not heard her. She has not come to me any time and said, Tom, you know, the thing that really disturbs me the most is we lost those trophies. She never has said that to me. That, they were not of great value to her. Let me tell you why they were of some value, at least in my memories, not material value, but in my mind while they were of value to me. They were of value to me because they stood for, listen to this, a promise kept. Some years ago... Um, uh, John and I were talking, and I asked him a question, which I try to ask my children once a year. Each of them, I, I ask him this question. John, have I ever made a promise to you that I did not keep? And he said, Dad, you know, when we were living in Africa, you, we went hunting several times, but you told me that uh, one day, you know, just you and me, we were going to go on a, on a big game hunt. And he said, 
I don't, you know, now we've moved. I don't guess that will ever, ever occur. Well, in my heart, from that moment on, I determined that I was going to do that. You say, well, that's sort of silly. Well, it's not silly to keep a promise you make to your children. See, you are a father, and they associate any time they hear the word father with the role model that you have for your children. And if you as a father don't keep your promise, then they might imagine that God, the heavenly father, won't keep his promises. And so I determined at that time that somehow, some way, I didn't know how it was going to happen. I prayed that God would allow us to do that, and God did. I mean, it was a wonderful gift from the Lord, and we had a wonderful time together. And instead of uh, standing there on that wall for me as a, an indication of any kind of hunting prowess, the issue really to me was they stood for a promise kept. We have trouble, don't we? keeping promises. Nothing, uh, none of us would like to say that. I mean, we all want to be known as promise keepers. But let me just tell you something. God doesn't have to try to keep a promise. He keeps promises. God would have to go to some kind of strange effort against his personality to not keep a promise. He, by his unchanging nature, is a promise keeper. You get the picture? And so God will never violate a principle. There's never going to come a time when something God said used to be wrong now is right. And there's never going to come a time when God says, you know, I promised you that, but the more I think about that, the more I realize that was for, that, was, that, that didn't make sense. The world has gone on, things have changed, it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. I don't need to keep that promise, do I? He will always keep his promises to you. And this brings me to a question which I need to ask you. What are the promises God has made to you? You say, well, I don't know. Well, now, that's your problem because they are abundant in the Scripture. And if you don't spend time searching the Word of God and letting God speak to you by His Spirit, and if your heart and your Bible are not filled with claims of promises God has made to you, that's not God's problem, that's your problem. But I will tell you this, any promise He ever makes to you, He will keep. Why? Because of His unchanging character. Secondly, God is unchanging in his concern. His concerns are unchanging. What God is concerned or cares about, those things are unchanging. Notice in verses 5 and 6, he talks about the fact that he cares about Israel. I've heard your groaning. Let me read these verses. I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant, not in the sense that I forgot it, and I said, oh, yeah, my covenant. In other words, he says, I, I am calling to mind right now my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll rid you out of their bondage. I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I care about you is what God is saying. And he will always care for his children. That's what I want you to see. God will never cease caring for his children. Did you get that? Just write it down someplace. God will never cease caring for his children. Now, that's important for you to understand. That's the truth. That's the principle that we have in this passage of Scripture. His, his concerns don't change. He doesn't say, well, I used to care about that, but the longer I've lived, the more I realize that didn't amount to doodly. And now I care about other things. God doesn't say that. What he cared about in the past, he cares about today and will care about in the future. And when I say care, I don't mean the sense of his anxious about, but those things that are on the heart of God for you. His concerns are unchanging. And that's interesting because, you see, 
Knowing that God really cares for me is a great comfort in life. When, uh, when I was a, a young boy in grade school, our family would go on these uh, vacations. And uh, it's very interesting. You know, we would, we would sometimes take relatives with us. Sometimes we would just go as a family. And I remember distinctly a vacation we were on when, uh, when I was just a, just a young squirt. I mean, probably five or six years of age. And our family uh, got a, a, a cabin in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And um, one day we went swimming at a lake. I don't know, it was Lake Hamilton or... Uh, one of those lakes over there in the Hot Springs uh, area, Lake Hot Springs maybe. And there was a, just a swimming area. And uh, my dad, you know, he, he wasn't swimming, nor my mother, you know. They were just sitting on the beach. They were just out there watching their four kids swim. And my dad's always been sort of a photography kind of guy, and so he had a camera around his neck. I don't know what it was. It might have been an Argus C3. It was before he got his roller cord, which he was extremely proud of, and, uh, uh, except that he always talked about the fact that the picture moved the wrong way in it. And, but it was a good camera. And so dad, uh, dad had this camera hanging around his neck. We were all out there playing in the water. My brother Jim uh, was not a swimmer at that time, and he got into water that was too deep. And, uh, you know, there were kids playing all around and people just, you know, laughing and talking. There was all kinds of racket going on at the time. And I guess my brother Jim must have hollered, help. I didn't hear it. I mean, I, you know, it would make, I just heard people hollering and screaming. And I was having a big time anyway. What surprised me was that as I looked up toward the... Uh, the beach area, I saw my dad jump up out of a chair and race down into the beach and race into the water, camera and all, and grab my brother and lift him up out of the water and take him and put him on the beach. Now, I didn't hear that voice. You know why? Because Jim was my brother. He wasn't my son. Parents have this incredible sensitivity to their children's voices, don't they? By the way, parents have such a sensitivity to their children's voice that they can ask a daughter or a son, how's everything? And the kid can say, all right. And the parent can say, no, I know by the tone of your voice, things aren't going right. I know by the look in your eye, something's wrong. Why, why does God give parents that? Why do parents develop that? I mean, why? Because they care. And God cares. And to me, it's very comforting to know that in the midst of any problem I have, I do not have to, listen, I do not have to reach a certain decibel level or a certain intensity in my prayers, a certain moment of panic or extreme or anguish in order to finally get God's attention. He's, he's not busy dealing with somebody who's got a crisis so much that when I call upon him, he doesn't hear me. I am his child. He cares for me. And God said to Moses, listen, I am unchanging in my concerns. I hear your groaning. I know you're weary. Don't you know that I know that? I care about you. And finally, when you're dealing with God or God's dealing with you, you need to remember that his commission is unchanging. His commission is unchanging. That is that God has a reason for you and for me living on this earth. Now listen, and it is not just 
to enjoy life. It's not just to enjoy God. We can enjoy God and our relationship with God, and it is to be enjoyed, to be treasured, but that's not just the reason we are here. Because in heaven, all the things that we do in a finite sense here on this earth, we'll be able to do perfectly. So if the issue is enjoyment or fellowship or living a good life, hey, let's just go on to heaven. But, but there's another part of this equation. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, here's the other side, so send I you. In other words, in the same way, by the same Father to do the same thing that I came, I'm sending you. And the Bible says that Jesus came to seek, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Israel being out of Egypt and in Canaan where they belonged was a big deal. In the first place, Egypt was not the crossroads of the world. Israel was. Canaan was geographically. In the second place, it was in that land of Israel, in a city called Bethlehem, years later, that the Messiah would be born according to the promise. And there are literally hundreds of prophecies that relate to the geography of our Lord's birth, a geography that could not be fulfilled in Egypt. And it wasn't that the Lord was just moving up them up there in an attempt to get things to work out. It's all part of God's plan. And the issue was, listen, people coming to faith in Christ. In these verses which I read, you're going you're gonna to see again the name Yahweh, Lord, Jehovah. But this time you're going to hear them as they speak of a commission, a commission to Israel and a commission specifically to, to uh, Moses and Aaron. Verse 7, I'll take you to me for a people. I'll be to you a God and you shall know that I am the Lord, Jehovah, your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you to a land concerning the which I swore to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'll give it to you for an heritage. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Well, Moses went out and spoke so unto the children of Israel. They didn't listen to Moses. Man, they were, they were in anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that doesn't make me any never mind. You've got a job to do. Go, you, here's your commission. You go speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses said, listen, God, I've got a speech problem. He's not going to hear me. Look at verse 13. The Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And it's all a part of getting them where they belong. So the world could have a Jesus and the world could know about a Jesus. Now, what are we saying by that? Well, look on your screen here for just a moment. And let's just see about this commission. You see, God's plan. Here it is. God's plan to use us in reaching others will never change. Not on this earth. 
God's plan to use us in reaching others will never change. If you think that there's a day going to come when the pressure is off of you to be a soul winner, you've got another thing coming. If you think the day will come when this preacher or this church will ever quit sounding out the gospel, you've got another thing coming. We see, God's plan is to use us in reaching other people. And that's why at the close of these services, I call upon people to give their hearts to Christ. And that's why I call for people in our church to become soul winners. And that's why I call for young people and adults who hear the voice of God to answer the call of missions, whether it's here in this country, around the world, to answer the call to be the person God wants you to be where he wants you to be there. Because God's plan to use you in reaching others is never going to change. It's not going to change. And I think there are these people who just live out here in this, this crazy uh, kind of thinking that says, you know, if I hang around here long enough, they'll quit talking about EE, or they'll quit talking about missions, or they'll quit having visitation, and I'll quit having this uneasy feeling, or I'll quit having to make excuses, or I'll quit having to give. You know, it'll just all get done, and that won't be the big issue anymore. Listen, it's going to be the big issue till Jesus comes. It's going to be the big issue till Jesus comes. It will never, never, ever, ever change. His character won't change. His concerns won't change. His commissions won't change because he doesn't change. Ever. He is Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am, the eternally unchanging Lord. Father, I pray, believing that at this invitation time, you will use this, your word, to touch the hearts and lives of people, bring them to this altar. I pray, Heavenly Father, that any person in this building who does not know Jesus personally as a living Savior would come tonight and receive him by faith and receive with it forgiveness of cleanse and abundant life and eternal life and peace with God and a purpose. Lord, I pray any person without Christ would receive him tonight. And Lord, I pray that any person in this building who's never confessed you through the symbol of baptism would come and say, I want to do that. And Lord, I pray that those to whom you're speaking about becoming a part of this church family would make that decision this evening. And Lord, help us to realize that when we're dealing with you and you're dealing with us, the issue at hand is that you are an unchanging Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. While your head is bowed for just a moment, in a few moments we're going to stand. Our praise singers are going to lead us in the hymn of invitation. And this is your personal invitation to come to Christ. Would you do that? Would you come to Christ? I mean, surely you couldn't have anything against Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to give you eternal life, abundant life, forgiveness and cleansing of sin, and heaven as your eternal home, peace and purpose on this earth. What could you have against Jesus? But if you have never received him by faith, then, dear friend, you are without him. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even of them who believe on his name. Would you receive him tonight? 
And I would urge you when we stand and begin singing, make your way to an aisle, find a counselor and say, look, I'm trusting Jesus tonight. I am trusting Jesus tonight. Maybe you want to turn to a friend, encourage that friend to come or to come with you to this altar. Would you do that tonight? It could be that you're not a member of this church and God's speaking to your heart about that tonight. Would you make that decision tonight? I pray that you would as an individual, as a family. You may be here together with others. You may be very much alone tonight, but you say, God's speaking to my heart. I want to join this church. Would you do that? Others will be coming, some to receive Christ, but would you come with them? Your coming will encourage others as they come to join this church tonight. Would you do that tonight? I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services to come and to be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members so that we can introduce you at the close of the service. If you sense God calling you in some way, his commission is real to you tonight and you want to answer, I would urge you to make that decision tonight. Would you do that? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let's stand together. And Father in heaven, I pray, believing, trusting that in these moments, as you speak to our hearts softly and tenderly, as the song says, that we will come to you tonight, the unchanging, the eternally unchanging Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name.